Hey, so I'm so excited. I want to share with you about one of our new sponsors, Starglow Media. They have this amazing show for all of you with younger kids called Mysteries About True Histories. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers and on adventures through time packed with puzzles and hidden equations, histories, and laughs. You all know Alana, our co-founder at Sproutable. She listened to the show with her seven-year-old and loved it. They would pause the show and try to figure out the math problems together, loved learning about different cultures and the histories around the world. The series explores themes like the stories behind math, critical thinking, code breaking, pattern solving, and so much more. Math is geared Math is what they call it. Math is geared towards kids six and over, but can be enjoyed by the entire family. Episodes drop every Thursday, and they're about 15 minutes, perfect length for the car rides, mealtime, break time, bedtime. Each episode is stacked with so much laughter, and your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. So tune into Mysteries About True Histories math with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Hey, welcome to the Joyful Courage Podcast, a place for inspiration and transformation as we try and keep it together while parenting our tweens and teens. This is real work, people. And when we can focus on our own growth, and nurturing the connection with our kids, we can move through the turbulence in a way that allows for relationships to remain intact. My name is Casey O'Rourke. I am your fearless host. I'm a positive discipline trainer, space holder coach, and the adolescent lead at Sproutable. I am also the mama to a 20-year-old daughter and 17-year-old son walking right beside you on this path of raising our kids with positive discipline and conscious parenting. This show is meant to be a resource to you, and I work really hard to keep it real, transparent, and authentic so that you feel seen and supported. Today is an interview, and I have no doubt that what you hear will be useful to you. Please don't forget, sharing truly is caring. If you love today's show, please pass the link around, snap a screenshot, post it on your socials, or text it to your friends. Together, we can make an even bigger impact on families all around the globe. I'm so glad that you're here. Enjoy the show. All right. Welcome back, listeners. Welcome back. I'm so excited for today's guest. It's a little self-indulgent considering what I am working on with my own senior in high school. My guest today is Janae Young. Janae is a college admissions coach as well as a Stanford University alumni with a bachelor's of science in management science and engineering and a minor in education. After witnessing a need in her community, she founded her company at 15 years old. I'm going to say that again. She founded her company at 15 years old in Wilmington, North Carolina to help high school students achieve personal and academic success. Over her last seven years as an entrepreneur, Janae has coached hundreds of kids around the world throughout the college application process to reach their dream schools, including places like Stanford, Harvard, Cornell, UPenn, Columbia, Yale, Princeton, Dartmouth, and other top schools across the nation. She now helps high school students raise their SAT and ACT scores and get accepted into their top schools through her group coaching program, Ivy League Score, 
and one-on-one coaching programs for the college preparation process. As a multiple six-figure business owner at 22 years old, you're inspiring to all of us, Janae (laughs) aspires to utilize her passion for entrepreneurship and education to empower students around the world to accomplish their wildest dreams. Hi, Janae. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Well, I want to start with, uh, well done you, right? (laughs) And I want to invite everybody who's listening, who just listened to your bio to remember, we get to love the kid that we have, right? We get to love the kid that we have. We get to spend a little time with a superstar right now. And (laughs) I'm so inspired personally as a business owner, like you're a baby and a boss. It's amazing. Yes. Talk about your passion for working with young people on the college application track and tell us a little bit more about your journey. Absolutely. So as you read, I grew up in Wilmington, North Carolina. So growing up, I actually didn't really know what I wanted to be for a while. That's one of the things that I'm always kind of coaching students and parents on throughout the admissions process. Whenever they start to feel like, I don't know what direction my kid's on exactly. I remind them that I wanted to be an actress for sure when I was 13, 14. I then pivoted to anesthesiology and then biomedical engineering. And right around the time of my sophomore year in high school, so when I was starting I was young for my grade. And so I would say like the standard job in Wilmington was like, you go work at Chick-fil-A, you go work at a fashion boutique or whatever when you turn 16 to get some extra pocket change. And I was not eligible to work. And so Mm. I remember just being like, I'm tired of relying on my parents for like $20 to go get something from, I don't know, Forever 21 at the mall. I need to start having my own cash. And so I actually started a babysitting business. My sister told me about a friend who kind of had built this babysitting clientele. And I thought it was so amazing that she had her own agency and she could make her own decisions and spend her own money. And so I started there and I even went door to door knocking like the traditional entrepreneurship story and recognized I lived in a retiree neighborhood pretty quickly. (laughs) No one had small children. And so then I said, okay, well, I've always loved teaching. I've always kind of been the person who buzzes around the classroom and helps people with their work once I was done and said, why don't I try tutoring? And so I started with one student in my algebra two class. One turned into two, two turned into three. And I very quickly began to see, which is still a core value of my company today, when I was able to sit down with a student, I was able to explain it to them in a way that they could understand Mm -hmm. because I could speak their own language. I wasn't coming Mm -hmm. to them from a perspective of someone who was trying to admonish them. I could just connect with them. And that peer-to-peer education was magic. And so because of that, my clients' results started taking off. And I started growing this client base pretty quickly. And I played soccer for 15 years. And so my soccer season was in the spring. And I just remember thinking, I don't want to leave these clients hanging. And so I did what any, I guess, 16-year-old would do. And I hired an employee. And then two, and then three... I look back and I have so much gratitude for my former self of, I obviously made the decisions that I did because I think I didn't know anything else to do, but how audacious she was at the time. So by the time I was 17, I was kind of running a tutoring agency K through 12 in my hometown with 10 tutors. And we focused on just tutoring and subjects. And I also had my clients that I still worked with. 
And then when I was going through the college admissions process... Let me pause you really quick because I want to highlight something about your story. Yes. So I just did a couple of free workshops for parents of teens. And one of the things we talk about is teen brain development. And we look at it, I like to look at it through Dan Siegel's work, Brainstorm, The Power and Purpose of the Teen Brain. He has this acronym called ESSENCE, Emotional Spark, Social Engagement, Novelty Seeking, and Creative Exploration. And in Creative Exploration, we talk about what you just said, like the audacity to think that at 16 years old, you could hire employees for your tutoring company that you started. Like, I love that about adolescents. I love that there can be this piece of like, why not? Why not me? Who says I can't do this? So I just wanted to highlight like that is creative exploration in action. So carry on. Yes. And I always say, I'll lay out the four-year plan down the line later in our conversation of what a parent should be encouraging at each step of the way in a student's Mm -hmm. high school career. But sophomore year is all about that exploration. And although I didn't know it at the time, what I was doing as a sophomore was so helpful for my application by the time I got to senior year, which I can dive into in terms of strategy with different grades later on. But by the time that I was a senior, I was in the thick of it, just as probably many viewers and listeners' kids are right now writing my essays. I had so many questions. And when I was reaching out, like I even think my mom got us on a call with a counselor and I was asking questions and I felt like there was no one that could really understand what it was like to go through the process in this day and age. Mm -hmm. And with COVID and social media and just all of the very specific things that Gen Zs were navigating at the time. And so when I matriculated at Stanford, I decided to niche down into college admissions to be that voice that I didn't have to help students and have been so blessed to do so over the last four years. I started in test prep, which was very interesting during COVID, and then have scaled to cover the entire admissions process ninth through 12th grade. And I now run that company full-time. So I scaled it throughout my time at Stanford. And now I just have a network of students around the world that I work with every day. And that is amazing. So I run two programs, as you mentioned in your introduction, my test prep program, Ivy League score, and my one-on-one coaching program. So I'm happy to talk about all of the secrets of the trade and any questions that anyone has, consider me your coach for like the next hour. (laughs) Yay. Well, and I'm curious too. So where were you at school-wise? You're 22. Yeah. So when COVID, which part of your journey was COVID? I was a freshman in college. So So that spring, a freshman year. That spring, yes. So I was really physically at campus for six months and then I was sent home. And Mm -hmm. that was really hard because, which you probably, if you study adolescents, know, like that's the independent forming phase of having your own friends and finding out how to live alone. And I was then kind of just catapulted into, I think what we all didn't expect at the time. So that's when it hit me. It's funny because I now coach students and I'll ask them the same question. I'll be like, for my current seniors, when did COVID happen for you? And they're like, oh, I was a freshman in high school. And I'm like, wait, (laughs) look at this. So it was definitely a time. I think for me, it showed me the importance of people having a peer. Like I remember at the time, I didn't know what was going on for Mm -hmm. high school students, right? Because the landscape had changed, testing had paused, and obviously students were still going through the college admissions process. But 
with even more stress. And so I would just get on Instagram live and tell people, come talk to me. And Mm -hmm. I developed actually a relationship with one student. Her name was Rebecca. And she would come on and talk to me and ask me questions about Stanford. And I would tell her what I knew at the time. And I ended up coaching her. And now she's a sophomore at Stanford. So like in the exact position that I was at when I was talking to her across the screen. So it's fascinating to watch how I think when even the worst times in our world arise, how human connection can still get us through. So Mm -hmm. I think that's what I learned most during that Mm -hmm. period. I love that. How long has the Common App been around? A long time. The prompts actually haven't changed significantly Mm -hmm. even since my class year when I was applying. So they've only changed really one prompt. I think there's one now about gratitude, but most are the same. So actually like the exact same common app essay that I wrote, I'm coaching people on the same exact prompts. Mm -hmm. So they've kept it pretty standard. So explain, because I was like, oh, this is a new thing, right? Because college application has not been on my radar until now. So explain to the listeners what the common app is. So the Common Application is a system that they've put together to try to simplify the application process as much as possible, where most schools overwhelmingly in the U.S. are on the Common Application, and it's a Common Application. So the essays and activities and recommendations that are entered into the Common Application go to all of the schools within the Common App. So let's say you have a list of schools that's 16, and they're all on the Common Application. You'd write a personal statement, which I'll talk about in a second your activities list. And then as you send those schools individually, it'll go to the same school. So the same personal statement goes to all of those schools. So the common application personal statement is really the heart of a student's application. It's the longest essay that they'll write by far and the most challenging, which I can talk Mm -hmm. about in terms of essay writing. And it's 650 words. It's the most challenging because many students have not stopped and paused for the self-reflection that the college admissions process requires. And so Mm -hmm. a lot of the work that I do with students is diving deep and asking them questions they may have never encountered before. Like, how did that experience impact me? Or what was the time I stepped up as a leader? Or what was the time that I had a challenge? Or why is it that I want to do what I want to do or what I think I want to do? Yeah. And so oftentimes it can be hard to take those experiences and get them on paper And students aren't taught the act of creative writing, which is basically writing about yourself in school. You're taught maybe how to write a research paper or how to outline an essay with standard five paragraphs, but not how to take an experience, diagnose it at 17 and put it into a page essay. So that is first one of the most challenging experiences. And I just want to validate any parents who are like, my kid has been procrastinating on writing this essay for three to four weeks. That's completely normal. There are ways, obviously, to get it done. Like I always say with my clients, we get their common app done in seven to 10 days. No drama because I know their brains. I know why they're procrastinating. But that's the common app. And then in addition to the essay, there's an activities list that has 10 activities. It's kind of like your version of a resume for college admissions. But schools are very concise. And so students Mm -hmm. actually only have 150 characters to describe their activities. That's Mm -hmm. a sentence and some change. Mm -hmm. And so it's then also figuring out how to take maybe something that has spanned so many years and dense that down, concise that down into a quantifiable impact-driven statement that shows their impact in only a few characters. Mm -hmm. And then there's the recommendations, typically two core teacher recommendations. 
from teachers who have taught them within the last 12 months. By core teachers, they mean math, science, English, history. And that will then go to the most of their schools. Okay. So (laughs) I have some questions. I've been like, I'm taking notes as I'm listening to you. So do you feel like the Common App, I mean, I remember back in, you know, 1990, when Mm -hmm. I was applying to college, I applied to like 10 colleges, many of which I didn't know where they were or anything about them. It was just told to me. And I guess I was really easygoing. And I was like, okay, fine. Do you feel like the Common App, while it streamlines the process, do you feel like there's still lots of room for kids to be able to really paint a picture of who they are? Absolutely. So with the Common Application, there are seven prompts that you can choose. And so what I like to do in terms of essay writing with my students actually is because in addition to the common application, the personal statement, for most schools, especially competitive schools, you then have an additional set of supplemental essays that each school will require. Mm -hmm. So let's say that if you're applying to one school, they require two additional essays of 300 words each, one about why you want to attend that school in particular, and then maybe one about what you feel like you would contribute to the community. All of a sudden, we have maybe 15 to 20 supplemental essays that a student's writing over the course of application season with a list of 10 schools. And so it's really important that they not only know how to convey their strengths, but also how to repurpose those essays so they're not writing 20 to 30 essays, but instead Mm, they can write 10 good ones. So I take my students through an exercise called Core Stories, which is basically where we figure out all of the things that make them into who they are maybe cultural experiences that they've had, interests that they have, a time they overcame a challenge, a moment of realization that they had, whatever really intertwines. I have like set questions I ask students, like, for example, what were three moments that you feel like have shaped you into who you are today? For me, when I was 17, that looked like I was bullied pretty badly in middle school. I started my business when I was 15. And that meant a lot to me of kind of figuring out like who I was and what I wanted to be as an entrepreneur. And I got kicked off the soccer team in high school and had to work my way back on and get to team captain. Mm. So I was really proud of those three moments, right? So then you could take those as core stories and say, okay, this is then going to fit a challenge supplemental essay. This is then going to fit a intellectual curiosity essay talking about why it is that I want to study what I want to study and how I've done that outside of the classroom. And then this core story will work as my personal statement something that I'll elaborate on further and will be the center of my application. And so then very quickly, when a student has their core stories, they never question what to write because it's then just picking almost like from a platter of stories that they can use and strategically repurpose with supplemental essays in their application. And then they have really clear application themes as well so that they can come across with a clear application story, which is an essential if you want to stand out in the admissions process. So I always say students can be as creative as they like, and their application is supposed to convey who they are. It's not supposed to be some mechanical resume of their academics and their activities. It's supposed to include the most personal aspects of them. My application to Stanford, Stanford's notorious for their supplemental essays. They have around seven. I talked about everything from my grandmother's blanket, who passed away from cancer when I was very young, Mm -hmm. to my bullying experiences in middle school, to how I was good enough at soccer to make the team, but never good enough to play. And what that Mm -hmm. taught me about grit, Mm -hmm. like all of those things, in addition to obviously the academics on my application and every student should. 
Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Thank God, spring into summer is my favorite time of year. After turning 50 last September, I've been really working on my physical health and well being and can honestly say that I am feeling better in my body than I have felt in a very long time. Yes, credit goes to movement and working out, but even more credit goes to how I'm feeding my body. That's why I love Factor. I fuel up with Factor's no prep, no mess meals, 35 different meal choices, and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. I always have a new flavor to explore. It's amazing. You can crush your wellness goals this May, keep time in the kitchen to a minimum, and enjoy effortless support for the lifestyle you want to be living with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust from Factor. Head over to factormeals.com slash joyful50 and use the code joyful50 to get 50% off your first First box plus 20% off your next month. That's code joyful50 at factormeals.com slash joyful50. Again, that's 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Yes, yes, yes. Join me. Join me in the health revolution and feel really good this summer. This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. So as the weather warms up, we're outside gardening or doing yard work. There are so many opportunities for skin issues, right? And for me, it's always a mystery to know what's going to irritate my skin, but I'm definitely out there itching and scratching. But the good news is active skin repair always seems to save the day. Active skin repair can be used to treat a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, and other types of skin damage. It's also safe and non-toxic, making it suitable for use on all skin types, all parts of the body, and even on rosacea, eczema, and acne-prone skin. Here's what I want you to do. Visit ActiveSkinRepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and get 20% off your order when you use code JOYFUL. Again, that's www.ActiveSkinRepair.com. Find out more about the product and get 20% off your order when you use the code JOYFUL. Oh, I mean, my head is still spinning right now, Janae. And listeners, are we all having the same experience where we're thinking to ourselves, I got to get my kid to listen to this podcast? Because <laughs> that's what I'm thinking right now. I love what you talked about with that personal statement being the heart of the application. And I know my son has talked, actually for the last few years, he said, I know when it's time what I'm going to write my essay about. Mm-hmm. And when we went through COVID, and my listeners know this, A few weeks into COVID, we also found out that my husband was diagnosed with multiple myeloma. So freshman year, online, COVID, while also his dad and I literally living in Seattle, which is an hour and a half away, him and his sister being here, holding down the fort on their own, you know, and he's really excited to write this. And so I'm wondering how much weight is in the mechanics of writing Hmm. versus the content and the reflection of the essay. I'm sure it's a both and, but just out of curiosity, is it like they're being graded on their writing ability or are they being understood better through the content? 
100% content and clarity. This is a big misconception in terms of essay writing and the admissions process, which is basically that you have to be Shakespeare to get into, I would say, any top school that you're looking for, or even just that students think as they're going through the admissions process that their essay has to be perfect. Your content and the clarity with which you articulate that content is what matters the most. And then students naturally will have different writing styles. I have some students that I've worked with through the years that have very poetic writing styles. They naturally insert things like metaphors, personification, their sentences seem to string together. And then I have people that are very direct writers and are just saying what they think. And Mm -hmm. that is okay. And both of them do very well in the admissions process when the content of the essay is clear. The biggest thing that I see, I actually talk through different essay archetypes in some of my programs. One, I like to kind of point to two main archetypes that I see. One is a perfectionist poly. So I always like to mm-hmm. say, this is the student. That is that- not my son, by the way. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> this is the student that oftentimes is feeling a lot of pressure throughout the admissions process. They may be applying to top schools or feeling pressure from their parents. And they feel like their essay has to be very great. And so they will go online, they'll look at other essays, they'll go on YouTube, go on TikTok. Your student definitely is. <laughs> if they have a phone, they've seen something. Mm-hmm. And so they can compare themselves to those essays. So they'll try to write their first rough draft. It won't match maybe some of what they've seen and they'll scrap it and they'll say, mm-hmm. that's not good enough. And then just consistently get stuck in iterations of that essay without actually completing it not knowing that you have to write a functioning, messy rough draft to get to the poetic, eloquent essay. So that's the first archetype. And then the second, I would say, is like a rushed Ryan is what I like to call it with my students, which is basically where they feel like they want to get their essay done. They have so much on their plate. And so they jump right into writing without reflection first. And then that creates kind of an essay where they're still trying to figure out their words, but they didn't organize their thoughts on the front end. And so they're doing a lot of revisions to try to figure out what that story may look like overall. And so having a set brainstorming and writing process helps clarify those ideas before they even start. And so I definitely think knowing the mechanics of the writing process and what actually slows students down is so helpful, but they definitely don't have to be perfect writers in order to write a good essay. Yeah. Well, that's good to know. And as I listen to you, I'm thinking to myself, okay, great. This is what I can say to Ian. So being a real mom right now in the thick of it, what are best practices for parents in supporting their kiddos who are moving on either end of that spectrum, either Polly or Ryan or the other archetype, which is, you know, deadlines. (laughs) What? I'm just going to resist, resist, resist. Yes. I would say first, just understanding your teen is most likely stressed. They Mm -hmm. are aware. I think sometimes I see parents will come to me. And even with that third archetype that you were talking about where they're more avoidant, they'll say they're kind of like not thinking about the college process. And then we'll get a lot done in a short period of time. Mm -hmm. And they'll say, wait, I thought they like weren't thinking about this at all. And I'll say, no, it was totally in the back of their mind. Oftentimes teens just don't know how to process or get started on something that feels so large and important Mm -hmm. as applying to college. Oftentimes they feel like, oh, you know, I was a sophomore, as a junior, now I'm a senior that has weight, that has implications. And so I've seen people can procrastinate, people can be very, very detail-oriented, and I think it manifests, stress manifests in teens differently. So I think it's just first being their number one advocate. 
and their number one supporter. I see a lot of times students feel like they have to have something traumatic or super extraordinary about them in their application. Otherwise, they're not going to stand out. And I think I always tell students, there is no other student on the planet like you. Mm-hmm. Like, factually, there's no one that's had the same experience as you, the same stories as you, the same challenges as you, the same you know, life stories that have made you into who you are today. And so I think reminding them of that, of they're not just another person, they are unique within their own right, they have value within their own right, and they don't have to feel like they have to be someone that they're not in order to get into maybe the schools that they want. So I would say first, just kind of being that safe space for them, because a lot of times the in-school conversations will be very comparison-oriented of students maybe talking about, I've done this and I've done that, and they may start to feel behind. Mm -hmm. Second is that you should have a process, an organization process. So I, for example, always say September is the perfect time to put together an application timeline. I literally have a Google Doc that has September week one, two, three, four. Do you share that Google Doc or do we have to hire you We can link it. We can link (laughs) it. Absolutely. (laughs) I need that. That says, okay, when do we actually need to be writing these schools by? For a lot of teens, it's just a matter of if you are applying to a list of 15 schools, right? That's an entire project management system. (laughs) Like a lot of times I use things that I used in consulting and management science at Stanford to help organize my students because there's so many moving deadlines, Mm -hmm. there's different application systems. And so it can just be helpful to get organized once you've addressed comforting your teen on the front end of knowing, okay, here's what we need to do week by week from now all the way until December 31st. Mm -hmm. I encourage students to have a writing routine. So set times that they're writing and editing every single week. It can be an hour. I teach a concept called speed writing where students are able to get like two to three supplemental essays done in 60 minutes. So it doesn't have to be a lot of time. It can be at four o'clock when they get home on Monday and then they can edit those essays Thursday at four o'clock once they've had some breather time. But that way they know, okay, here's what I'm getting done the week of October 7th. I need to be writing these types of essays and here's when I'm going to get them done on my schedule. And that Mm -hmm. can alleviate a lot of stress because then what our brains do is if we don't know what we're doing on a week by week basis, it'll tell us that everything is urgent. Mm -hmm. And so then that creates a lot of stress and procrastination versus breaking it down week by week. And when your writing is broken down week by week and you have a clear routine, the writing doesn't get pushed into the margins, which is what a lot of students and parents experience. Life is busy already. You already have a cycle. And so when you Mm -hmm. don't create intentional time for the application process, the work of the application process gets pushed to Christmas break, Thanksgiving break, and weekends. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to mention here, because I know that there's people listening and I have clients and we've been in this conversation around... (laughs) that third archetype, which is, ah, they're not meeting the deadlines. They're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And I just want to speak directly to those parents right now and say, this application process is theirs, not yours. Yeah. Right? And the natural consequence of resistance, 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 and usually they're resisting because you're on their back Yeah, and they're tired of it and they want to show you, actually, I'm in charge of this situation, so I'm not going to do anything. As soon as you get yourself out of the way and remind them, like, listen, I'm going to love you no matter what. You know the deadlines. You get to create your own experience here. And I'm willing to stand by and be supportive of you. That is what those kids need. Also, 
you know, I love that you're talking about organizational tools because 100% more and more there seem to be kids with either executive functioning challenges or ADHD or fill in the blank. So we also get to be compassionate around the gaps, right? And again, I'm speaking directly to the parents, like be compassionate around those gaps and quit thinking it's just your kid being lazy or a pain in the ass or not caring because they do. And if they're resisting, it's either you're in the way and creating a dynamic that isn't useful or they don't have the tools or skills to be able to hold the organizational situation that has been created for them. So where can you scaffold, right? Yes, 100%. And I always say in terms of the organization I'm talking about, have them put it in their phone. Yes. (laughs) Like have them put it in their phone. With (laughs) alerts. With alerts, with their text reminders. Yeah. And that that. was actually the third point I was going to make. First is comforting being your teen's advocate. Second is helping them get organized. And third is letting the process be their own. I see a lot of parents try to micromanage and I've seen it kind of happen where there will be students who are resistant and then will, you know, put off deadlines. And then there's also sometimes students who will follow, but they are experiencing an incredible amount of pressure as Mm -hmm. they're going throughout the application process because they are consistently feeling like there's someone overseeing everything and reminding them of deadlines. And that can then create a very heightened amount of anxiety as they're moving through application season. And so I always say the value of the application process will come in the lessons that your teen needs to learn in particular. Mm -hmm. And so it's okay if they miss a deadline. It's okay if they are learning to manage their time through not managing it at first. Yeah. Right? Like that's naturally part of them growing up. And I think that the gap between them concluding junior year and going onto a college campus as an adult is the college application process, mm. right? But spring of senior year, they're partying, there's prom, there's graduation. It's a fun yeah. time. It's that fall where they're learning a lot of life lessons. And yeah. so it's a disservice to not let them learn them mm, because- thank you. They're going to need them long-term in college. And so many times there are students where they will be working last minute towards a deadline. And I have to say, I'm here to support you, but also like, they're not going to make that mistake again, right? They're going to feel what it feels like. Or they might make it a couple more times. They might (laughs) make it a couple couple more times, (laughs) but it's not fun to write at midnight, right? But you only learn that when you're writing at midnight. And if it's helpful also... Yeah. I just want to clarify. I think you, at the beginning, you said, (laughs) like, I think sometimes parents will hear of me and what I've done and think that I did not give my parents like any stress in my application. You're just perfect, Janae. You're the perfect child. You never did anything wrong, right? (laughs) Like you were super easy. (laughs) I made all the same mistakes. Like I put it off at first and procrastinated. That's why I'm able to understand what's going on in a teen's brain. And so mm-hmm. that's also just part of the process, even for students who are going to do phenomenal. I just yeah. want to offer that's just part of them growing up. And so yeah. those lessons are going to be so valuable for them. Yeah. And it might be the lesson of a big missed deadline, mm-hmm. right? Everybody gets to go to college, right? There is opportunities yeah. for higher ed for every single person right? There are pathways to get there, parents. I know that we want all the doors to be open and we want every possible 
opportunity for our kids. And again, like I'm listening to you say, which I think is so, so valuable, which is why I want to say it again. This is (laughs) their journey and the opportunity for growth and reflection and pivot and learning happens when they're in the struggle and when they make those mistakes and they can feel the actual natural consequences of that. So I'm here for that too. Yes. Yes. Okay. So I want to ask you, you said something about 10 activities. There's 10 activities. What does that mean? Yes. My kid does not have 10 activities. That's okay. So (laughs) the activities list has 10 spaces for students to insert their activities. They do not have to use all 10. There's typically an activities and an award section, like where students can insert awards if they have any. I did not have any awards. (gasps) Janae, you're blowing my image of you. (laughs) I have parents who will email me all the time like, my kid doesn't have any awards. They've maybe an AP Scholar Award, but beyond that, and I'm like, no high school student typically receives awards at this point in time. And so it's completely normal that awards section does not have to be full. Even if your student's applying to very competitive schools, that's not a requirement. So I just wanted to put that out there. In terms of the activity section, you don't have to fill all 10, but you will be constrained to the character count of the activities. That's where I see students struggle the most. So do they get to say their activity? Like Ian, my son, is a basketball player and Mm -hmm. he's had a part-time job since the summer before his junior year. That's basically the extent of his activity list. Perfect. He likes to play golf, but he doesn't play on the school team. So... It does sure. the characters like basketball and then they can blah, 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 blah. This is what I learned or this is, yes. so they get to we kind can of. Actually, we'll use a direct example from your son. We can okay. do it together. So typically you'd first list out that organization name. There's a space on the activities list for the organization name. So that's where you would put maybe, for example, the name of the basketball team and the school. And then there's mm-hmm. a space for a position title. So if, for example, if they are team captain or play a significant part in the team, that's where you would insert that. You can also just put general member or general player or their position. That's Mm -hmm. typically what you would do for a sports team. And then that's kind of their title. And then goes the activities description. So that description should highlight a student's impact, use as many numbers as we can, and also be concise because we only have about a sentence. So what that maybe looks like is what their practice routine looked like, if they oversaw or mentored any younger members on the team, if they were up significant part in the team winning any local or state or national titles. Like when I was talking about soccer, I was team captain. Even though I didn't play, I had a really significant role in mentoring some other younger girls on the team. So I talked about that. So that's just an example of how you could break that down in terms of a part-time job. There's so many skills that are learned in a part-time job people oftentimes overlook. Customer management, communication, working with a team, mm-hmm. overseeing a domain of some particular aspect of that job. The pool. He's a lifeguard. So, exactly. <laughs> overseeing yes. lord of the pool. <laughs> yes. And so I would say the number one mistake I see is students will downgrade what they've done. Okay. And they so we want to bulk it up. We want to bulk it up. We want to use power verbs like I was using And you can literally look up a list of resume verbs and just go with ones that you feel like best match the description, but you just want to lead with those power verbs. We want to use as many numbers as possible. So we quantify the impact. So for example, I was just with a student in Texas and she is drum major of her marching band. 
And I said, okay, well, you know, and she told me that for maybe nine months. And I said, well, how many people are in the band? And she said, 400. And I said, wait, you oversee 400 people? That's very important. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't know that because my marching band at my high school was 50 people. Right. So you want to give the admissions officer context of what that impact actually looks like. And there is a specific portion in the activities list where they will ask for hours a week and weeks a year. So their time investment doesn't have to be listed in that 150 characters, but they do want to own and brag a little bit about what it is that they've done and all that they've accomplished in that activity. And last thing I want to say on that, in addition to your traditional extracurriculars like sports, clubs, jobs, there are also other things that can be listed. For example, taking care of a sibling, taking care of a parent, any way that a student spends their time outside of school would be factored into there. Summer experiences can also be factored in. So all of those count as activities as well. Okay. Amazing. All right. Before I let you go, I know not everyone listening has a senior right now, mm-hmm. but this is so useful, Janae. I'm so excited about this conversation. I'm so excited. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness, and I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask-Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. What are kind of some quick tips on what to be thinking about and encouraging earlier on in high school? Yes. Yep. I can walk you through it. So I love coaching seniors, but I also love helping people prepare for senior year because it's the number one way to reduce your stress. And I think the biggest misconception about the college admissions process is that it starts senior year. I teach a concept called the four-year plan that shows how every year in a high school student's career plays into their application senior year. So I always like to say freshman year, ninth grade is about foundation building. 
This is where a student wants to focus on knowing how to achieve the types of grades that they want, focusing on time management, organization, getting the foundational skills that they would need to have a successful high school career. And I always like to say what happens in freshman year determines the ease of their upperclassmen years. So for example, if students are procrastinating on writing senior year, or they're not able to manage long-term deadlines, for example, instead of like that quiz is due tomorrow, so I'm going to do it tonight, knowing how to prepare for that paper that they may need to write two weeks from now and how to break that up incrementally, that's a skill set that's used senior year. So when we can start building that freshman year, we set that foundation. So typically, this is going to look like just students knowing how to manage their grades, manage their time, know how to both manage short and long-term assignments, like the worksheet that they need to finish overnight, or the quiz that's coming up in a week, or the paper that's coming up in two weeks, and how to break those assignments down. And also just putting together a four-year plan for the courses that they're going to take. So that way, if they want to play around or switch any courses, you're able to communicate with your counseling staff effectively. So that's typically the work that I do with my freshmen. Mm -hmm. In terms of sophomore year, it's all about that creative exploration that you said. So the freshmen that you're working with, like you're helping them learn those skills that you're just mentioning. Okay, great. Okay. Yes, absolutely. And it's so fun to watch them grow up. Like when I can see my students from freshman year who are now juniors and we got all of their testing done before junior year even started. They're organized. They have all of their extracurriculars and we're just chilling going into Mm -hmm. junior year. It's the best. So that is the work that I do with freshmen. And I also do, because I have a life coaching background, I do a lot of mindset coaching and helping them understand how to process their emotions and understand how their thoughts influence how they're feeling. And just giving them vocabulary around a lot of the hard things that teens often experience because high school is hard in every aspect. So that's kind of what freshman year looks like. Sophomore year, I call is the year of exploration. This is where students want to rigorously pursue all of their interests. And from a parental perspective, you want to give them freedom to do that. So in whatever way you can support them, I always like to say the way that teens' interests emerge aren't within adult vocabulary, if you will. They're not going to tell you that they want to go into political science. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They're going to hang around while you watch the news. Right. They're going to ask you questions or they may not tell you that they want to go into engineering. They may just start working with their hands and having particular interest in certain clubs or activities. And so then you just want to nurture those interests. So to show that journey for me, like I said, I wanted to go into acting for a while. I joined theater. And I got to talk on stage and I loved it. And then I said, "Mm, this may not have the work, the long-term work life that I'm looking for, right? I'd have to be really, really good if I want to be successful. And so we're going to try something else. So then I pivoted into medicine. And with medicine, I figured out still didn't have the work life that I imagined for myself and maybe my 30s or my 40s, but I only got there from rigorously pursuing that interest. I started a club at my school in medicine. And I also went to some camps so I could actually talk to doctors and see what it was like. And that's when I got my questions answered. Like you're in school for a long time. Maybe that's not exactly what I want to do. But I took what it is that I did like about medicine, which was helping people. So by the time I then got to entrepreneurship, I could say, okay, I liked talking. I liked being able to present and I liked helping people. Maybe I'm able to use those skill sets in this career path. Yeah, But I wouldn't have been able to get there if I hadn't had that exploration phase. And then, of course, that's how I started my business and it was a good fit. So sophomore year is all about 
pursuing those interests to the extent with which you can. And I would say figuring out if something isn't a good fit is just as valuable as figuring out if it is. Mm-hmm. So that's what we focus on in sophomore year. I help students do that through extracurricular development, both in and out of school. With all of my students, we actually put together an impact-driven initiative in their community that helps them get clearer on what it is that they want to do and create and help a particular group of people that they want to help. So that can be everything from like a sustainable fashion business to putting together a AI voting system to whatever a student personally feels helpful, feels would be helpful for their community in their area of interest. I have a student who's doing like a mental health support group at his high school for young men because he recognized that young men often don't have support spaces. I have another student who's doing genetic research. I have a student who did research and gender economics on the gender wage gap with a professor in wow. NYU. So like there's so many different things your teen can do, but we just want to do it in their area of interest to get them better clarity. So that's what sophomore and junior year look like in terms of extracurriculars. And then... Let me pause you right there because yes. I want everyone who's listening to calm down. <laughs> <laughs> calm down your panic if you've got kids that don't want to get off their phone and don't want to get out of their bed. Okay. This is like... I love this picture that you're painting. And like I say with other things, this is a direction to point the compass, right? And as parents, we get to nurture, we get to offer, we get to invite. And it really is going to be up to our individual kids to step in. And if you want your kids to step in and they're not and they're resistant, you all know where I'm going to go with this. Like take a look (laughs) at relationship, take a look at the dynamics look under the surface of the iceberg, figure out what's going on because it is developmentally appropriate for there to be a spark of curiosity, right? And if there's not a spark of curiosity, parents, then that's something to not be pissed about, right? Not just see it as a character flaw, but instead get really curious around what's happening under the surface for your kiddo that's getting in the way of this development. So I just wanted to... No, absolutely. And just so I can elaborate on that, I think a lot of people think extracurricular development has to be something that is ultra phenomenal and requires a lot of time on behalf of your teen and also requires just relentless ambition from them. And that's oftentimes not true. They can do something that's very impactful in only two to three hours a week. So let's just take the sustainable fashion business, for example. The way that ended up developing with my student that I was working with who was a sophomore was that she would sell clothes on Depop. Do you know? It's like yep. a it's like a fashion website. I'm where you cool. Can I know what that yeah. is. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. So I have a 20-year-old daughter too. So yeah. So that's why I was like, if anyone knows what this site is, great. Because I had no clue. But I would ask her, I'd say, what do you do for fun? She said, oh, well, I sell clothes on Depop. And then I said, okay, well, what is it that you want to study? And she said she wanted to go into business. And I said, well, what if we thought about ways that we could you know, accelerate that a little bit. Like, let's get you some entrepreneurial skills if that's what you want. And so I said, what would we need to do to have you selling those clothes on Depop or to create your own brand? And she said, well, at Salvation Army, there's clothes that basically they put out and they're going to take to the dumpster if no one takes Mm -hmm. them. And so I'll typically go in there and I'll get some clothes. And I said, okay, great. Why don't we take that And that can be some of the inputs that you're using. You can then use those and repurpose them for developing your sustainable fashion brand. And let's just start there. Let's just get serious about it. Let's actually start looking at how much money you're making a month. 
and she was making like $400 a month. And I was like, that's a business girl. Yeah. Like that's, that's, that's something that we can. So I then showed her how to actually track the stats of how much she was selling, how to figure out how to plan for her business model. And then I said, what if we did a nonprofit wing where you partnered with nonprofits in your area to actually go through and pre-select clothes for a particular target audience? For example, if you wanted to help people who do not have the same resources have clothes for interviews. Mm-hmm. Or if you wanted to, you know, Amazing. have a women's fashion line where you take the clothes, you repurpose them and then donate them and just partner with nonprofits to do that and see what they need and go out there. And she said, okay, yeah, why don't I do that? And so then she got an internship with a nonprofit and started creating what is now a professional wear kind of line that she donates to nonprofits across Oakland. And she still is on her phone all the time. Like yeah. still, she's still like, a teenager. Just, she's still a teenager. And yeah. so I just wanted to emphasize that. And yeah. the other thing I typically recommend in sophomore year that just a lot of parents don't know that I wanted to clarify, if your student decides that they do want to take the SAT and the ACT, the SAT and the ACT only cover up to algebra two. So whenever your student finishes algebra two is actually the best time for them to start testing instead of later on, maybe when they're in something like pre-calculus or statistics, because then what they're learning in the classroom won't be relevant. So any testing that we can clear out of the way sophomore year is best. And also preparing them for any accelerated courses they'll take as a junior and a senior. Junior year is about kind of building a niche area of interest, if you will, doubling down on some of the extracurriculars that they're doing, continuing that exploration and really accelerating into leadership positions where there are opportunities in school and out of school. And then senior year is where we tie it together with a bow. So as you can see, senior year is oftentimes so dependent on what happens in the first three years. And so that's why I love coaching on like ninth, 10th, and 11th grade, because then it can make senior year feel a lot more approachable. But that's how I break down the four years. Right. And everyone who's like, oh, great. Well, so much for freshman, <laughs> sophomore, junior year. Like, take a breath, right? We're where we're at and we get to just move forward and move yeah. forward. Yeah. Thank you so much. This was so beyond helpful. I knew it was going to be so useful to talk to you. And I'm 100% sure that listeners are feeling the same way. Thank you for your work. Thank you for your ambition and for feeling that inspirational spark and running with it and for... Yeah being supportive of our kids. Thank you so much. Of course. Absolutely. always ask my guests the same question at the end. And so I'm going to ask you, what does joyful courage mean to you, Janae? Ooh, joyful courage means to me, this is more from an entrepreneurial perspective, but could even be applied to, I think, college admissions, which is when I, not to be morbid, but like when I think about my life as a whole, I always say, if anything were to happen, I know that I laid it all on the line. Like mm-hmm. I played full out. And I think there's a lot of days where obviously in entrepreneurship, it's challenging. I would say even in college admissions, it's challenging. Sometimes when you're going for the big goal that you could otherwise hesitate to not go after. And I say that to teens all the time, like go for the big goal because it's a muscle that you're building that you'll use throughout so many years of your life. And so I feel like for me, joyful courage is knowing even in the hard moments that I'm exercising that muscle, like I'm playing full out. 
Like I'm creating a life that feels big. Like I'm not settling in any area. And I'm so grateful that even as a young woman, I'm able to say that I've built this company and I'm doing what it is that I love every day. And the days that that's hard, I remind myself like, no, this is exactly what I wanted. And I was courageous enough to go after it. Mm. So I think that's what joyful courage is to me. Yes. I love that. Where can people find you and follow your work and find out more about your offers? Yes. So my website and social media channels are under Janae Tutoring. That's my name, J-A-N-A-E Tutoring. So my website's JanaeTutoring.com. My Facebook and Instagram are Janae Tutoring as well. And if you're a parent that's like, I this girl needs to be in my kid's ear, that's why I'm on Instagram. And I literally have a highlight dedicated to all the coaching segments I do on Instagram where parents will be like, can I show this to my teen? And I'm like, yep, just send it to them yes. and have them binge all of my videos. Beautiful. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. This was so great. Thank you so much for having me. I loved being here. Thank you so much for listening in today. Thank you to my Sproutable partners, as well as Chris Mann and the team at Podshaper for all the support with getting this show out there and making it sound good. Check out our offers for parents with kids of all ages and sign up for our newsletter to stay connected at besproutable.com. Tune back in later this week for our Thursday show, and I'll be back with another interview next Monday. Peace. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're gonna talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better.